Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 45 of the Revive Yourself podcast. Here we go. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Have you got a health issue that just won't go away no matter what you try? Then welcome to the Revive Yourself podcast, where we reveal the secrets to long-lasting health by getting to the root cause of problems that no one else is talking about. So you can have more energy, clear skin, healthier hair, a leaner physique, more confidence, and most importantly, do the things you love and live the life you deserve. Here's your host, Ryan Martin. So guys, hope you're well, hope you're having a good week, hope you're enjoying Christmas or have enjoyed Christmas. Um... Yes, well, just want to say, got quite a few messages through the winter winter period. Got quite a few guys that have all been booked in as well. That are starting in January, everyone's looking at if it, you know, some people with chronic issues have been starting right away. Uh, but other people looking to see, increase their health, got going through problems, they want to get Christmas out of the way. And we've got lots of people joining our programs, which has been awesome because um, I know it's just to say our programs are not just twelve or sixteen weeks long. And that's it. They're actually for the next 16, 20, 30, 40 years of your life. And they give you the keys to freedom. So anyone looking to to work on their health issues, then hit me up at www.reviveyourself.co. Send me an email. There's contact information there and we'll get you rocking and rolling. We're getting some great testimonials out for you guys as well, which is going to be um, brilliant for you guys to see because we've had some people we've been dealing with this year. I mean, had lots of clients this year and... A lot of them have all been medical failures. People that haven't been able to get, or haven't been able to deal or get through their health problems for 10, 15, 20 years. Been taking all medication, drugs, steroids, a lot, and we've got them off and living life again, happy, smiling, healthy, and full of energy. And you know, chronic fatigue's been a one that's been really, it's been a big one this year for me. Um, this last year and. I wonder if it will be the same going into 2018 um, as we move into it. So, interesting times. Anyway, today's interview, guys, is with Dr. William Davis. He's the author of Wheat Belly. He's also the new author of a book called Undoctored, which we'll be getting him back on the show to talk about. But um, he's he's a uh, cardiologist. He's from Milwaukee. Um, he's got great videos on YouTube. Um, and he talks all about wheat and how it's the cause of many many modern diseases today uh, and grains um, and so it's just not just the gluten although it goes into why gluten is not great and we go into everything you can uh, about wheat um, and he's just he's just he's just a real nice guy ready to give you the information talk about lots of different uh, issues around wheat why why it actually got brought um, why it's been such a staple of our diet and um, yeah it's just a it's just a really fun, good interview, um, and he's a quite a funny guy. He's, he's got a lot of character. So, without further ado, here he is. Here's Doctor William Davis, and I'll see you guys on the other side. Hey guys, and welcome to episode forty-five of the Revive Yourself podcast. Today we have a great interview lined up with the author of Wheat to Belly, and that's. William Davis, MD, um, and he's got coming to us from Milwaukee. Is that correct? That's right, Ryan. Yeah, yeah. How is that over in Milwaukee today? It's <laughs> bright and sunny, but cold. Brian, so that's my that's my favourite weather. I'm just going to be honest with you. So everyone loves summer, but to me, a, a crisp autumn or a spring day, you can't beat it. Um. So 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 we 
William's actually got, I say William, we can call him Bill, which is lovely. <laughs> He's actually got a new book book out at the moment as well, um, which I'm actually going to try and get uh, schedule a call for him uh, in the new year. And that's called Undoctored, uh, Why Healthcare Has Failed You and How You Can Become Smarter Than Your Doctor. So I really can't wait to get him back on the show for that. But today we're going to be concentrating on his New York uh, Times bestseller, number one bestseller, and that is Wheat Belly. Um, and you can find find the book at wheatbellyblog.com and also wheatbelly.com. Um, and we'll be talking about how wheat affects your gut um, as well as how it affects every other part of your body. So, I mean, I'm sure you've answered these questions before, um, Bill, but it's quite a fascinating thing because lots of people talk about gluten, um, but not that many people, well, everyone knows wheat's anagenic, but it doesn't get as much headlines as gluten. So um, I just want to start with um, an int- int- the introduction into your book. Actually, it's an introduction, or it might be, let's go through. Um, or it's actually chapter one, and it says, In centuries past, a prominent belly was the domain of the privileged, a mark of wealth and success a symbol of not having to clean your own stables or plough your own field. In this century, you don't have to plough your own field. Today, obesity has been democratised. Everybody can have a big belly. Your dad called called his uh, rudimentary mid-20th century equivalent a beer belly. But what are soccer mums, kids and half your friends and neighbours who don't drink beer doing with a belly? I called it wheat belly and you go on from there. So... Just, just I mean that that starts the book off great. I think. I mean, wheat belly. How big of a problem has it become? Right, it's a huge problem, and it's a problem caused by conventional dietary advice. It's caused by the fiddlings of agribusiness and agricultural scientists. It's worsened by dietitians who don't know any better. It's aided and abetted by physicians who have virtually no understanding whatsoever of nutrition because they're focused too much on dispensing prescriptions and procedures. And so we have this huge void in nutritional wisdom, and it allows crazies to emerge, like the vegetarians and vegans and people who think both <laughs> bad is the way to, to, to go. And so uh, uh, if you understand some basic issues in nutrition, such as the incredibly destructive effects of modern wheat – you are given a license to recover an extraordinary amount of health and, and slenderness. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that's, as you said, so many, so many good things there in such a short space of time. I mean, there's, there's, um, I mean, it's, it's the other, I think it's the actual introduction to your book. Um, I was going to put it in later on, but I think I know what, I'm just going to get to it now because it's, it's another great passage. Um, and, it, and it says, it says if you flip, it's just something that I say to a lot of my, to a lot of, I mean, we have podcasts, I mention it quite a lot on the show, and I talk about it in videos and stuff, but it was great because in fact, I turned open, first, first page I read, introduction, it, and it says, quote, flip through your parents' or grandparents' family's albums and you're likely to be struck by how thin everyone looks. The women are prob- probably wore uh, size 4 dresses and the men sported 32-inch waists. Overweight was something measured only by a few pounds. Obesity, rare. Overweight children, almost never. Any 42-inch waists? Not here. 200-pound teenagers? Certainly not. And this is something that I think is just so relevant in today as well because, I mean... I always say, look back at your pictures of your, of your grandparents or even even like your great grandparents. I bet they weren't fat, and it's just so true. And and this this problems. It's an epidemic now, right? 
Absolutely. There are more obese and overweight people than ever before in the history of, of man on this planet. Now, of course, there's so much more to the grain issue, grain consumption, than just being obese or overweight. But it's the one thing that everybody can see, right? You can't see that somebody has type 2 diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, acid reflux, irritable bowel syndrome, or ulcerative colitis. You can't see that just by looking at someone. But you sure can tell when they have this big protuberant abdomen that's the outward sign of inflammatory visceral fat. And grains are incredibly effective at cultivating inflammatory visceral fat. That's why I call it a wheat belly, which is a little bit of a, uh, a misnomer. It's really a grain and sugar belly because you can drink lots of soft drinks and eat lots of sugar and get the same kind of effect. Though it's worse, by the way, with grains because there's so much more here than just sugars and gluten. But I should mention that, Ryan. This is not about being gluten-free. You know where a lot of gluten-free misinformation comes from? The grain industry because they play both sides of the, of the equation. They say, oh, you want to be gluten-free? We've got cornstarch, rice flour, and other products made with gluten-free flours. Well, that's the grain industry. So it's so much this boils down to money. So we reject grains, we reject wheat, we reject gluten, yes, but we also reject gluten-free foods <laughs> made with cornstarch, rice flour, tapioca starch, potato flour, because those are corrupt, horrible foods that are not good solutions to the elimination of grain. So a little bit of logic and thinking is involved here, but it's really pretty simple. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's the thing as well, when you said it's not just I mean, the wheat, the grain, etc. I mean, you're finding corn syrup everywhere nowadays as well as everything else. So there's problems. And one of the things that you said in your book as well is um, there's not an organ or system unaffected by wheat. I mean, that's a big claim. I, I, I would say I happen to agree with you. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that do, but for people who think, oh, that, that can't be true, what do you mean by that? Like, there's not an organ or system unaffected by wheat. Well, we have this. The science is quite solid, Ryan. We know that the, the proteins of wheat, some people call it gluten, but a better way to look at it is, is gliadin, glutenins, wheat germaglutinin, and numerous other proteins. See, Grains are all, by definition, seeds of grasses, seeds of grass plants. People don't think of grains that way. But uh, I know in, in Wisconsin, where I am, every through the summer, I've got to cut my grass. And I have a big pile of clippings. Why can't I save those clippings, provided my dog didn't poop on it? Can, why can't I save those clippings and toss them on top of a salad with some Italian dressing? Well, if I did... I'd get ill, I'd throw it up, diarrhea, it'd come out undigested, because humans are incapable of digesting the grasses of the earth, whether it's the blade, the stalk, the husk, the roots, or the seeds, the seeds of grasses, grains. So that's at the root of why grains are such problematic, they're not even foods really, but foods for humans, because we are incapable. We don't have the enzymes to break down most of the proteins in grains. And that's why, for instance, the gliadin protein of wheat, the cyclin of rye, the hordine of barley, the zein of corn, etc. These proteins are very difficult for humans to digest. If you ate a pork chop or an egg, you would break down the proteins into single amino acids. That's how proteins are meant to be digested. If you eat the gliadin, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> gliadin protein of wheat, it's broken down to pieces or peptides, but these peptides are very peculiar. They're four or five amino acids long, uh, amino, amino acids long, 
And they, among their many, many toxic effects in humans, they cross the, into the brain, they bind to the opiate receptors of the human brain. <clears throat> in kids with ADHD and autism, it causes behavioral outbursts. In people with schizophrenia, it causes paranoia and hearing voices, auditory hallucinations. In people with bipolar illness, it can trigger the mania <clears throat> or the high phase, the up phase of that condition. In people who have a tendency towards binge eating disorder and bulimia, it causes 24-hour day food obsessions. And in people like you and me who don't have these conditions, it only causes appetite stimulation. It causes us to take in, on average, 400 to 800 calories more per day. It causes incessant hunger and appetite, this feeling of that you can never get enough. Um, mm. you've <laughs> so I've got all the questions lined out, and obviously things happen, and you just jumped ahead about 20 questions. But that's okay. Let's go there. You know, Opiate receptors. So I was going to say... This is the thing that you just mentioned there. You've gone just quickly when people say about so you say you can't you can't um, digest this wheat. People be saying, well, what about wheatgrass? Just quickly, what about wheatgrass? Can you digest that? Is that okay, or is that a completely different substance? It's not as toxic as the seed, but the blades of grass are still quite toxic. They have, for instance, the protein wheat germ agglutinin. It sounds like gluten. But it's unrelated. It's a, it's a glutenin. It's called a glutenin because when it contacts uh, human blood, it causes blood clots or agglutination. It's a very potent blood clotting agent, by the way. So wheat grass uh, causes blood clotting via wheat germ agglutinin. Now that effect, thankfully, is not real powerful because most of the wheat germ agglutinin doesn't get into the bloodstream. Most is just simply toxic in the gastrointestinal tract and adds to such effects as a disrupted bowel flora, which is very important, acid reflux, heartburn, uh, gallstones, um, uh, uh, inadequate digestion of, of fats and proteins, and other inflammatory bowel diseases. But wheat germ gluten is quite toxic. It has nothing to do with gluten, but it's in wheat in wheat grass. So these people <coughs> that are getting their having their wheat grass shots, etc., you'd see avoid that. Absolutely, because humans simply are incapable of digesting the components of grasses. Okay. And this, you know, we, you've heard, everyone's heard these stories about wartime when there's no food. This happened in London mm -hmm. uh, during mm -hmm. the blitzes of World War II, where there was no food, and people would would resort to eating bark off trees, leaves uh, off off trees, and grass. And they got very sick. They can't. You cannot digest these things. They are simply not meant for human consumption. And that's why it took. Only till recently, humans never consumed grasses or seeds of grasses because they are not intuitively food. If you were starving, hadn't eaten anything for two weeks, and you spied a field of grass, you would say, hallelujah, no. I can eat like a king now. <laughs> yeah. If you saw a field of wheat, likewise, you wouldn't say, well, hallelujah, this is dinner's on the way <laughs> because – You'd have to go through some – it is a testimony to the cleverness of humans, primitive humans, who managed to turn the seeds of grasses into something that they could consume, not realizing that what they ate to survive another few days or weeks also extract the long-term health price. That health price could be obesity. could be type 2 diabetes. It could be rheumatoid arthritis. It could be polycystic ovarian syndrome. It could be ulcerative colitis. It could be uh, accelerated dementia. It could be – autoimmune thyroid disease. There are hundreds of diseases that appeared when humans first turned to the seeds of grasses for sustenance. 
Um, and it's something that I was talking about actually with Dr. Rita Marie, um, Rita Marie uh, yesterday. And it's, it's a simple equation of genetic, whenever your genetic weaknesses plus modern lifestyle of eating those foods, it comes up as, uh, as your chronic illness. And that's, that's where it comes up. And I, I, it's, it's great that you just said that to people because people need to understand that it's not just the, these, eating these things like wheat and grains and seeds and grasses, they're not just linked to one illness. It depends on, where your genetic predisposition to stuff is, and that's what can come out. So you talked about opioids. And there's something I want to get into, but I just want to get into it later. I want to build up to that so people just start to understand a little bit more about about this week. So big for most people, they go to a dietitian that are funded by our NHS, or maybe over there you go to see, I know even they can even pay for them over here now, like yeah. Don't even get me started on these and these these dietitians. <laughs> they're, they're not they're not illicit nutritionists. They've been funded by American Energy Pharmaceutical Talk. So then you get them in America as well, and they get told, go and eat whole grains because they're healthy, right? Now, where has this come from, and are they healthy? So the argument that whole grains are somehow good for us came some from some very basic and flawed logic, Ryan. So you 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 may recall that there are studies. A lot of them from the U.S., like the Nurses' Health Study and the Physicians' Health Study. These are very large studies where they did this. They asked people, just a simple questionnaire, how much white flour products do you eat in the average day? They total up over several days. And then how much whole grains do you eat over several days? And then they watch these people for 10 years, 12 years, and see who has more colon cancer, heart disease, dementia, and type 2 diabetes. And what they found is that people who ate more whole grains had less diabetes, heart disease, colon cancer, etc. And they conclude by that, that lots of whole grains are therefore good for you. Well, the analogy I use to illustrate the fallacy of that logic is what if I took something bad for you, unfiltered high tar cigarettes, and I replaced them with something less harmful, filtered low tar cigarettes. And there was an apparent reduction in colon cancer and heart disease. Should we therefore conclude that smoking lots of filtered low-tar cigarettes are therefore good for health? It sounds silly when I put it in those terms, but that's what they did. Mm -hmm. What they should have done was, okay, we have less harmful effects when we uh, replace white flour products with whole grains. What if we eliminate all grains, whole and white? They didn't do that. Although those studies have been done, Ryan, those studies have been done. It tells us that type 2 diabetes in many people goes away, reverses, or at least the hemoglobin A1C measure of blood sugar drops. Rheumatoid arthritis goes into remission. Uh, Inflammatory diseases, visceral fat, inflammatory start to reverse. And so unfortunately, though, the uh, those big epidemiological studies like the physician's health study made all the headlines those 14 studies and that has dominated thinking including uh, dietary policy at places like the uh, u.s department of health and human services that crafts the dietary guidelines for americans and gets uh, as you know picked up worldwide um, but it is the systemization of extraordinarily bad advice flawed misinformation uh, uh, advertised as science. It's not science. It's nonsense. A lot of it, by the way, as you know, supported by the grain industry, by the cereal industry, the mm-hmm. processed food industry, mm-hmm. and those the companies and industries also that support the dietary community. Uh, that's why I call the 
Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. That's a certifying agency in the U.S. for the dietitians. I call it the agency um, uh, that anything goes because they, they, they tell us that Coca-Cola is okay, and Pepsi is okay, and candy is okay, everything in moderation. You may have to exercise 90 minutes more per day to accommodate those things <laughs> because that's where they get their money from. Mm-hmm. And so, unfortunately, we have the systematic delivery of horrible, horrible health crippling and fattening advice billed as healthy based on bad science and bias. Yeah, I think that came out the other day when the actual American Heart Association president went and had a heart attack, which was uh, <laughs> much as much as I had to say, we shall help anyone. I think it's quite ironic the guy who's been turned as a coconut oil spare for him because they're lobbied by the big farmer agriculture that fund them up to a billion dollars a year, I think. Um, and uh, and it's what you're saying, these 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 com- well, these, 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 these uh, agriculture and cereal companies that have been. Yeah, pumping money into into the uh, industry, industry and getting paid a lot of money to put, it, to put their advice out. I mean, this is what you just said there as well was taking low tar cigarettes compared to high tar cigarettes um, and saying, "Oh, look, we've got a positive positive outcome." It's like when people say, "Well, look, I'm still here," or uh, uh, "It hasn't killed me." Well, that's not really <laughs> the best barometer for success, is it? Look, you're still here. You're barely here. You're clinging on. <laughs> but 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 you're still here, you know. That's that's not that's not the greatest way to put things. Um, and so, one of the things I was I was gonna I'm gonna get on to 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 we and what we've done to it and why it's so bad. But I mean, just as you said there, because you touched on it, the companies. I mean, for example, in the UK as much as in America, you know, it's a, it's a staple in most people's diets. They get up and in the morning and they'll have eggs on toast, or they have a wrap or a sandwich for lunch, and they have a bagel or they have a pasta for dinner. Um, and it's just it's 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 a meal that's associated. Um, with everyday life, you know, and even people have muffins and donuts, and they have cakes, and um, over here they have scones or scones. You might come over there. Um, is the reason that it was thrust so much into our life because of these these, these industries, or or if not, what, what what was the reason? Well, you know, once that campaign of misinformation came about, a lot of it was purposeful too, as you know, as you know, the sugar industry. Essentially, paid off researchers to buy. What, what sort of what sort of year did this happen? Uh, just just so because because it hasn't always been this way. What sort of time did this happen, Bill? We're talking about the seventies and eighties. Right. A lot of this started in the sixties, picked up in the seventies, but really gained steam. Uh, Ryan, in the in the nineteen eighties, that's when um, I think light light bulbs went off at big food when they realized what a pot of gold had been thrown into their laps with the low fat message. And how so many processed foods, low fat, low cholesterol, low saturated fat, heart healthy, all that nonsense, got their start in the 1980s when big food recognized just what a gift had been given to them. And when I believe big food recognized that the new forms of wheat created in in laboratories that modified that gliadin protein that yields opiates that drive appetite – I believe big food then recognized that something had changed in the wheat plant and made it a much more potent appetite stimulant Mm -hmm. because that's when we saw wheat in 1960 was in pasta and bagels and bread. In in the 1980s and even more so today, wheat is in pasta, bread and rolls, yes, but also in seasoning mixes and licorice and candy bars and granola bars and pizza sauce, mm-hmm. and tomato sauce, mm-hmm. 
all frozen. In other words, there's almost no processed food now that doesn't have wheat or some other grain component. Now, some of it's just because it's cheap filler or thickens or uh, uh, has other um, effects like that. But a lot of it's there to amplify your appetite, to make you spend more. Now, the flip side of that, of course, when you stop eating grains, first of all, people, your listeners should know, many people go through an opiate withdrawal syndrome. People are skeptical. Do they feel the nausea, headache, depression, and fatigue that lasts about a week? And it's, it can be very unpleasant for many people, by the way. But you get through it. Just like an alcoholic who likes two-fifths of bourbon a day has to stop and go through a pretty awful process. You have to go through this process. Mm-hmm. But you come out on the other end feeling spectacular, energized. You People look different, Ryan. Mm-hmm. People send me their pictures and they say, look, this is just within five days or seven days or 10 days. And their faces change. Their mm-hmm. eyes change. Their legs are no longer swollen. Their faces are no longer red. It's because even more than weight loss, which does occur, of course, but even more than that, inflammation begins to make a powerful uh, retreat. And you see it even on the face. And people feel it. They say, my joint pain was gone. My fingers and elbows within five days. The acid reflux I've had for 20 years was gone within the first week. The funny rash I had on my face that I was giving salves, creams, and steroid treatments disappeared within a week. And so it's saying people don't recognize just how far-reaching that question you asked earlier uh, where – how many organs are affected? All organs are affected. Yeah. By but you might not recognize that because people don't often think that their glaucoma or cataracts was caused by grain consumption or their plantar fasciitis with foot pain or their knee pain or their abdominal discomfort or their chronic diarrhea or their uh, uh, acid reflux or their esophagitis or their migraine headaches. They might not recognize these as being largely grain caused diseases until they stop it and they realize that they've gotten off 12 medications they've gotten rid of seven health conditions it's a pretty miraculous process yeah i know it's like it's, it's the healing crisis people can't go through it with coffee as well they go through it with wheat and a lot of things that they're so used to it and they go through a healing crisis they feel worse and a lot of people stop and they go oh because i'm feeling worse i'm coming off it but that's the whole process the body goes through just to open up the detoxification pathways reduce the inflammation and sometimes you can feel a bit worse before you get better um, in fact oftentimes it can be the case and um, Opioids, you've got them to again. I'm going to have to come on to that, but we're going to go on to that. In a, there's a few things I want to go into that because you've got a great story around that and, and what happened and how you found out about that. So I want, I want to give that the attention it deserves. Just quickly, for someone, for example, my dad, who was diagnosed with diabetes, um, he's not anymore. This was like 10 years ago. We've sorted, I sorted him out very quickly, but um, he was someone who wouldn't listen, thought doctors knew best, uh, and every day he we would always have sandwiches, rolls, etc. And it affected his diabetes, but also the fact that he was saying, well, I've, all, I've, eat, I've always eaten bread. And, uh, I've always eaten bread. But what's the difference between him eating bread 40 years ago or wheat 40 years ago to the wheat that we're having now? I mean, I know in America you've got a few more things going on in terms of uh, maybe Monsanto and um, Clearfield clear wheat. Uh, best practices I've heard you talk about. Um or clarified wheat best practices that you can go on about, but um, what's different to today's wheat from from when it used to be, Emma? Well, let, let me be, make something really clear, Ryan. That is, uh, 
we, we always have to be mindful of using clear logic because we don't want to fall in the okay. same traps that the dietary world falls into. Okay. For instance, placing something bad with something less bad. Same thing here. <clears throat> Ancient grains like the <clears throat> pardon me, einkorn wheat that is the ancestor of wheat <clears throat> is less harmful. <clears throat> so the, the modern changes introduced in the wheat made it more harmful. But it doesn't mean the old stuff is harmless. It just means it's less harmful. Okay. And uh, as a quick aside, you know, when humans first turned to the seeds of grass, which happened about 10,000 years ago, it happened with einkorn wheat in the Fertile Crescent, the, the Middle East. It happened with millet in sub-Saharan Africa, rice in the swamps of Southeast Asia, and maize and teacent in Central America. So more or less simultaneously, for unclear reasons on different continents, humans began to consume the seeds of grasses. What happened to those first groups of humans, hunters, gatherers, people living out in the wild, right? What happened to them? There was an explosion in tooth decay. Before <clears throat> consumption of grasses, only one to three percent of all teeth showed decay. When we, cons when we added grains to the diet, Tooth decay, abscess, tooth loss, etc., jumped to 16 to 49 percent of all teeth lost. Men shrunk by five inches. Women shrunk by three inches. Right. That only lasted a few centuries, though. There was an explosion in bone diseases. Knee arthritis doubled. Iron deficiency became rampant. And in other words, even consumption of ancient grains caused a health price to be paid. Now, fast forward to our modern age in the 1960s, there was, an, there was a noble, not an evil effort, a noble effort to increase the yield per acre of grains. A lot of this occurred in Mexico, where a lot of the research is being funded by the U.S. government, Mexican government, and other agencies. And they wanted to create uh, strains of wheat, corn, and soy that yielded more per acre. Many thousands of experiments. This is prior to the age of genetic modification, by the way, genetic engineering. Mm -hmm. So they used methods like uh, crossing different, I'm sorry, mating different strains of wheat from around the world, mating wheat with wild grasses, because wheat is a wild grass too. And uh, methods like chemical mutagenesis. This is the purposeful induction of mutations using toxic chemicals. Uh, the problem with that is, unlike a genetic modification where you simply insert a gene in um, uh, chemical mutagenesis, you provoke dozens of mutations. But as long as it produces the kind of flour you need for baking, you don't care about those other mutations. And so that's the kind of flour that um, hit store shelves about 1980, in the mid-1980s. So that wheat is a, a modern, what's called a high-yield, semi-dwarf strain of wheat. It stands about 18 inches tall not the four and a half foot tall uh, fields everyone remembers. It's short, it's thick, the uh, stalk is very thick, the seeds are very large, the seed has very lo uh, long. So it looks completely different because it is completely different. And that includes changes in the proteins. A lot of the proteins also were, uh, were amplified in content because farmers <clears throat> often chose strains of wheat that had better pest resistance. You know, if you're a farmer and your 100 acres of wheat got devastated by a mold or a fungus, you're going to pick strains that have higher uh, pest-resistant properties. And so two common pest-resistant proteins are wheat germaglutinin and phytates. And so farmers selected strains of wheat over the years, as did agribusiness scientists, that enriched 
that had higher levels of wheat germ and gluten and phytates. Well, those are toxic to humans. They're very toxic. Mm. Wheat germ and gluten causes gallstones. It changes bowel flora. It causes, uh, contributes to ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, celiac disease, irritable bowel syndrome. It's very inflammatory. The small quantity that penetrates into the bloodstream is highly inflammatory. It amplifies autoimmune diseases, inflammatory diseases, skin diseases. The phytates are the component that bind minerals in your intestinal tract. It binds almost all the calcium and almost all the iron, zinc, and magnesium. That's why people who consume a lot of grains often have iron deficiency anemia, even if they're not losing iron by bleeding loss. Uh, so I've seen many cases, for instance, of very severe iron deficiency anemia, mostly women, oddly, who need periodic blood transfusions, mm-hmm. iron injections. They're chronically tired and breathless and cold because they have low hemoglobins. They're anemic. And this goes on for years. Bone marrow biopsies. Take the wheat out of their diet. They have normal blood hemoglobin within two weeks of stopping all grains. That's how powerful those phytates can be. And those have been enriched by uh, scientists and agribusiness uh, and, and farmers. So wheat has been uh, has become a perfectly crafted toxic component of the human diet. Oh, so it's a great, perfectly toxic. And now you've got Monsanto adding all, all their um, well, they're putting their five was it pennies worth in? I was just say. So you you touched on it there about how much it can influence and affect the gut, especially nowadays. And in in chapter six of your book, um, Hello Intestine, it's me, wheat, wheat and celiac disease. So for I do have a lot of people who've got gut issues. Uh, a lot of people come with chronic gut issues, whether it be IBS, celiac disease, Crohn's, all sorts of gut issues. Um, other people just got constipation, but bad diarrhea. Uh, and one of the things a lot of people say is, well, why why have I got it now? I didn't have it, I, I, I didn't have it for years and years, and all of a sudden I've got it now. And now you've got a passion in the book that I want to I wanna, um, wanna read. And it says, um, <laughs> celiac disease is also on the rise, increasing fourfold over the past 50 years. A fact that, I believe, reflects the changes that wheat itself has undergone. Not having celiac disease at age 25 does not mean you cannot develop it at age 45, and it's increasingly shown itself in a variety of new ways besides disruption of intestinal function. So even if you have happy intestinal health and can match success stories of regulatory with your grandmother, you can't be sure that some other body system is not being affected in a celiac-like way. Now, I think that's a powerful paragraph um, for people to understand that this, I always liken it to, people say, well, why now? I say, well, you keep on blowing up, keep on blowing up a balloon, one day it's going to eventually burst. And your body can only take so much of, of, of what you're putting it through. Um, so just for people out there, when it comes to colitis and celiac disease, how much does wheat play a role? A huge role. Now, sometimes, and many people, right, it doesn't end at wheat consumption. So people consume wheat and other grains mm-hmm. and sugars, yep. and they get prescribed antibiotics for a variety of reasons. They get herbicide and pesticide exposures in their food. They drink chlorinated water. They're exposed to BPA and plastics. In other words, we swim, in a, we swim in a sea of food and other factors that disrupt bowel flora. So over time, we change our bowel flora in very unhealthy ways. <clears throat> and one of the things we're seeing a lot of in former grain consumers, as well as people doing other things, is a condition called small 
intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Yeah, SIBO, yeah. Yes, SIBO. Mm -hmm. So good for you. That's great. That's great. So because if you understand that um, grain consumption and a lot of other common factors in modern life conspire to create SIBO, that is uh, a, a unhealthy changes in bowel flora that then ascend all the way up through the 20-some feet of your small intestine and into your duodenum and stomach, and it's responsible for an astounding amount of health problems. Well, one of the starting points is to remove the factors that cultivate that situation in the first place, grains and sugars, as well as such things as chlorinated water. Oh, Bill, I just lost you there. Can you hear me? Oh, I've just just got you back. One second, Bill. Can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you. Yeah, I just said, you said, I, just, I lost you at chlorinated water. Okay. Um, so it all starts with removing those factors that uh, caused the, the SIBO or the dysbiosis. Uh, but then you have to, for full recovery, as you likely know, for full recovery, reversal of SIBO, then you've got to take additional steps. Mm -hmm. uh, but the point is here that it starts, a lot of it starts with consumption of grains, particularly the unrestricted uh, uh, ad lib consumption that our governments tell us. Bill, I've just lost you again. I think I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to give you. It's going to have to call Do off. I'm just, Bill, I'm just going to have to. One second, let's see if we can get. He said that this is the uh, great thing about live recording. Um, <laughs> I don't think the government likes us talking about what we're talking about, Bill. That's what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> um, we go. We we'll give it one more go. If it happens again, I'll just ring off, and then we'll, I'll just get you back on this connection. But yeah, so you were just saying. So it's. So you said you have to do take more um, rather than just doing. Rather than just uh, taking um, so gut health, you have to actually make bigger, bigger improvements. Yeah, so the, you you get the ball rolling in reversing this by eliminating the factors that caused disruption in bowel flora, grain consumption, sugar consumption. Try to minimize your need for antibiotics. Um, try to eat organic foods that don't have pesticide and herbicide residues. Filter your water, etc. But there are additional steps you have to take to cultivate healthy bowel flora. This is all discussed, not in the original Wheat Belly book. That's just the, the original Wheat Belly book lays the foundation for why we uh, point our fingers at modern wheat. I know I did that, Ryan, because uh, wheat is the most dominant grain in the diet. Mm -hmm. It's also the most destructive by a long stretch. But it doesn't mean other grains that are less bad are good, right? Mm -hmm. So, but I start with that. But then. Uh, over the years, we've expanded the program and the current version of the program that uh, some call Wheat Belly Total Health, and now this new book that we're going to try to sidestep today, The Undoctored Message. Mm -hmm. We talk mm -hmm. about how to take these additional steps because my, my goal here is not to ruin the grain industry. It's not to make people at Kellogg's angry at me. It's to help people understand that it's very, very simple to regain magnificent health, lose the weight you want to lose. But it means doing almost everything contrary to the advice of your doctor, dietitian, and government. Yeah, it's uh, something that uh, Chris Chris has talked about the other day on the Joe Rogan show, and I thought it was very, very prominent when he said, if you want to be healthy today and be lean, you've literally you've got to be on your game 24-7 because these foods have all got E numbers that that, that that make you, once you pop, you can't stop. You know, they change your brain function, they affect your gut. So if you want to be healthy, happy and lean, and not just look good and feel terrible, but actually look good and feel good, 
you've got to understand uh, where you're coming from. You've just got to live a life, you know, that's, that's just not modern lifestyle. And stand away from all these things that are on the shelf that are screaming out of you in their big, luminous packages and just eat real food. Um, that's a great place to start. Um, so, and as you mentioned there, colitis, celiac, it comes from, it's not just wheat, it's, all, it's a lot of grains damage the gut. And as we know, a 75-80% of the system is in the gut. The gut's extremely important when it comes to health, you know, extremely important. And then you've got the gut-brain axis that we go into. So another another little quote I want to read from you from Chapter 4, because I, I love these, it's, it's brilliant, and it really does explain a lot. So Chapter 4, hey man, want to buy some ex ex-dolphins, or endorphins, ex-dolphins, the addictive properties of wheat. So it starts off, addiction, withdrawal, delusions, hallucinations. I'm not describing mental illness or a scene from one floor of the cuckoo's nest. I'm talking about this food you invite into your kitchen, share with friends and dunk in your coffee. Now, if you could just discuss, I mean, you mentioned it a few times, why wheat is unique among foods for its curious effect on the brain and effects shared with opiate drugs, because I think this is really crucial for people to understand. You know, interesting, Ryan, the entire... Uh enlightening conversation about the harmful effects <clears throat> of wheat began with observations in people with mental illness. It came from uh, very crude observations during World War II. When bread fell in short supply, for instance, in, in France, uh, doctors noticed that hospitalizations for schizophrenics, schizophrenics dropped off dramatically. That, would, that data was published. There was research in primitive cultures like those in New Zealand, I'm sorry, New Guinea, in the 1960s that showed when before uh, contact with Western man, there was almost no schizophrenia. You know, schizophrenia is pretty obvious if you've ever seen a homeless person sitting outside in the, in the, in the, in the square or street yelling and talking and gesticulating to nobody, mm -hmm. to somebody visionary. So it's pretty obvious when people tend to have uh, uh, lots of forms of schizophrenia. It was noticed that primitive cultures have almost no schizophrenia until they started eating the diet, the food that was uh, traded mm -hmm. from Western sources. And there was a huge surge in schizophrenia, paranoid schizophrenia. These data were published. And then there were two studies, first in Philadelphia, and then a, another study to corroborate in Sheffield, UK, that took hospitalized schizophrenics and deprived them of all wheat, and they observed a dramatic improvement, not cure, but a dramatic reduction in hallucinations, paranoid behavior, and social disengagement. When they added wheat back, these are over four-week periods, they deteriorated over four weeks. When the wheat was taken out, they got better. This, this prompted a, a lot more research to show that there, this, that gliadin protein was talked about that causes uh, the opioid effects that amplifies appetite. But that's the same protein and the peptides that derive from it. Uh, the same thing that exerts many of the mind effects, the psychiatric, emotional effects, the overeating, addictive food behaviors, the, um, the out behavioral outbursts in kids with ADHD and autism, depression and people prone to depression, suicidal thoughts, in people prone to depression. In other words, the gliadin-derived opioid peptides, Ryan, have a wide array of human effects, though the effect depends on the individual susceptibility of the person. It could be depression, it could be suicide, it could be paranoia, it could be uh, addictive eating behavior. 
for someone for someone who's got our, uh, not Alzheimer's, but Alzheimer's as well. But someone who's kids out there who, especially the most prevalent uh, in 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 the US, for a kid who's got autism or or an issue like that, how I mean, does we exaggerate those symptoms? So we have to be clear. Parents sometimes get angry saying, are you saying that wheat causes autism? No, no, of course not. It just makes it worse. Mm -hmm. Just like sugar can amplify some of the behavioral outbursts and Mm -hmm. abbreviate attention span. So the amylopectin A of grains, that's the carbohydrate of grains, it's highly digestible and worse than table sugar in its capacity to raise blood sugar. It's the other effects, gliden-derived opioid peptides and other effects that simply make a lot of the phenomena associated with autism or ADHD, it makes it worse. So if you take your child off all grains and sugars preferably, it doesn't mean your child will be cured, it just means their behavior and learning capacity will be improved. Mm-hmm. But that in itself, of course, is important. Oh, hugely important. I mean, once again, it goes into everything with a toxic body, taking away information, healing the sea in the gut. Um, and it's one of the things you just said there, uh, and you've actually got in the back of your book, which is two slices of whole wheat bread can increase blood sugar more than two tablespoons of pure cane sh- sugar. I mean, most people would be like, what? How is that possible? Um, and <laughs> it's, 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 it's something that you've mentioned before, how it affects diabetes. Um, it can affect, obviously, the pancreas. And this is the problem with people having these foods all the time. One of the, one of the things you put in your talk, you go out there, I think it's... Um, Bananas don't don't grow on trees. Um, uh, lemons don't come off cliffs. I think it is um, Scientology is not about science, and humans don't need grains. I think that's um, that's su- such a brilliant, brilliantly put uh, little dialogue there. And for for people going through through all the all these issues, I mean, it, it's going to be something that people don't understand. How I mean, when it's something that's such a staple of their day, it's going to be quite hard for them. So. I just want to touch on certain things just so they understand how it can impact them. So we've talked there about the opioids and effect that's on the brain. It can, it can exaggerate all different all different um, conditions that you've got, the effect it has on the gut. You've mentioned also it can affect your skin, such as psoriasis, eczema, acne, chronic inflammation. Is this, once again, because of the effect it has on the gut, uh, or, or is it something else to play here? Well, there are literally hundreds of different skin conditions. Even if we just focus on skin conditions, there are many, many different ways that grains create skin conditions. Some of it's simply inflammatory. Some of it's autoimmune. That is, it tricks your immune system into attacking some component of the skin. Um, uh, Sometimes it's it's allergic. And sometimes it's indirect by way of SIBO. That's a very common way, by the way. Grain consumption that... Uh, over over the years, changes bowel flora and inflames the gastrointestinal tract. And over time, it allows the ascending uh, dysbiosis of SIBO. And that that's active, for instance, in people with psoriasis. So if people, anybody has psoriasis, they often say this to me. I, I did the wheat belly thing, no grains, and my psoriasis got 60%, maybe 70% better. But it's not gone. Next step, treat your SIBO. And then more and more people have 100% relief within a few weeks of doing that. And by the way, it's very easy. It's something you need to do on, even do on your own. We're having growing. So uh, we haven't gotten there yet. But one of the great disappointments I have is in my colleagues in the medical system who don't think about diet or they just take the standard line of cut your fat, 
cholesterol and eat more healthy whole grains, which is incredible, incredibly destructive advice. So the doctors have failed us. The medical, medical system has failed us. They're quick to prescribe costly and toxic medications like statin drugs <laughs> mm-hmm. and hospital procedures, but are essentially useless to for information on how to empower health. So I've given up on hoping my colleagues will come around. Some do, of course, and that's, I'm grateful for that. But the vast majority of conventional thinking, primary care, doctors, gastroenterologists, cardiologists, et cetera, are absolutely useless when it comes to empowering the everyday person in health. The, the, the tragedy is that the amount of health that come from things like your podcast and online conversations, et cetera, is huge now. We are gaining momentum at an unprecedented rate and providing people with information and people are achieving, this becomes more of an indoctrinated conversation, so forgive me, but people are achieving health that is dramatically superior <clears throat> to the health that people obtain from the doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if you go to the doctor for type 2 diabetes, he's more than willing to write you some prescriptions for injectable drugs, oral drugs, insulin, Tugeo, et cetera. But you can become non-diabetic. I was diabetic 25 years ago, type 2 diabetic. I don't have it anymore, and my blood sugar values are perfect with nothing. That is no drugs. I've seen that happen now in thousands and thousands of people, former type 2 diabetics who've added eight years to their lives, are slender and healthy, don't need all the associated drugs like blood pressure drugs and cholesterol drugs and high triglyceride drugs. They take nothing, just follow a simple set of natural strategies. Why didn't the doctor tell them how to do that? Because that's not their business. They're in the business of dispensing revenue-generating medications and procedures. Mm -hmm. So to me, the medical system has failed us, and I'm trying to find ways for people to opt out yet be healthier. Yeah. No, it's something we talk about on here. Like a lot of doctors, they're not bad people that's been taught in the medical industry. And when it comes to, I say to people all the time, if I get in a car crash or something like that, then yeah, I'm not going to go for acupuncture. I'm glad that they've got that there. Car crash, the car crash stuff, it's phenomenal. When it comes to chronic illness, they really have got, um, no idea really except for dispensing drugs that makes the body more toxic and just pushes it into I mean that's why it's what we say they try to kill the disease rather than we understand we need to regenerate health we don't treat the disease we treat the person um, get them healthy and then once you get the person healthy the disease just can't live in the presence of health it, they, the two are just not compatible they're like oil and water they just don't go together so once you get someone healthy um, disease just goes away and it's something that we talk about um, and you mentioned you mentioned there, yeah. The this is for someone two two things quickly. I want to have two points. We're going to go on a little bit, but for someone who's got SIBO, <laughs> I like your concentration, brilliant. When we um, for someone who's got SIBO, um, what are the simple steps they can take to to correct that? And the second question would be for people in the morning who say, "Well, I, I don't have I, I've got, I don't have bread anymore. I have porridge. Is that okay?" No, porridge is just a grain-based cereal. That's pretty horrible. Yeah. You know, all people have to do to find out, uh, you know, in the U.S., we can go to the local pharmacy or big store and buy a finger stick glucose device for like $20. It's very yeah. inexpensive. You can even get them for free from your doctor. Mm-hmm. And you can check a blood sugar at its peak, which is about 30 to 60 minutes after you begin consuming that porridge. And you will see blood sugars that will terrify you. You will see blood sugars... Uh, uh, so if they start, let's say six millimolar, it goes to 12 or 14 sky high. In other words, every bowl of porridge 
pushes you closer to type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance, which in turn leads yields inflammatory visceral fat, takes you a step closer to dementia, heart disease, cancer, um, hypertension, cataracts, deterioration of joints. These are the phenomena of glycation, by the way, glucose modification of proteins that is irreversible. It's part of its accelerated aging. And this is what that bowl of porridge does. So even though we're told that it's good for us, that's nonsense. Just as a low tar filtered cigarette is not your path to health. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And, and just the first question, for someone who's going through SIBO, what are the simple little tips you can give them to get to get through that? Well, for, so there are several ways to identify whether this is true or not. But I'll tell you, uh, your listeners should know about a very simple thing. Because the, the diagnosing SIBO involves something called hydrogen breath testing that you or your doctor can perform. Sometimes involves endoscopy, which, of course, you need a gastroenterologist. But you know what? Here, here's how to know if you have SIBO. If, so in the Wheat Belly program, we start people to recultivate healthy bowel flora on a high-potency multi-species probiotic, mm -hmm. uh, as well as some fermented foods, lactate fermented foods, fermented vegetables, yogurt, kefir, etc. And then we have to feed, it's just like a garden, you have to feed those or microorganisms, and they like to eat what are called prebiotic fibers. Some people call them resistant starches. And so uh, uh, if you ingest, if you have bowel flora in your colon, if you ingest a prebiotic fiber, indigestible by humans, but digestible by bowel flora, it should take 8, 10, 12, 14 hours to generate any kind of symptoms like gas, because that's how far down bowel flora are in the colon. Well, a lot of people develop gas, abdominal pain, diarrhea within minutes, within the first hour of consuming those prebiotic fibers. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with the prebiotic fibers. It means that the microorganisms are way up high in your stomach or duodenum or jejunum. And that's a very good, I call it the prebiotic fiber test. And that is almost guaranteed to represent SIBO. So if you have that, I think it would be very reasonable to treat the SIBO. Now that's a whole other conversation, of course. How do you reverse this essentially infection of the entire gastrointestinal tract? It's easy. And you can even, you can even do it without your doctor if you're confident enough that you have this. Uh, another reason to suspect SIBO is if you have conditions that are highly associated with SIBO. There was a recent study from uh, Dr. Pimentel out of uh, Mount Sinai, New York, that showed that of, a, of the people who had fibromyalgia, 100%, Ryan, 100% had SIBO severely. Mm -hmm. So fibromyalgia is that's, that's essentially that's huge. Yeah, it's essentially the same thing as SIBO. Uh, irritable bowel syndrome, IBS, is probably just another name for SIBO because so many people with IBS, one, respond to antibiotics and uh, almost all of them have SIBO. Uh, psoriasis, highly associated with SIBO. Restless leg syndrome, highly associated with SIBO. Autoimmune conditions, highly associated with SIBO. So I find that uh, so many more people than we ever thought have SIBO, but if you recognize it, particularly by that, what I call the prebiotic fiber test, um, you have the means for even further gains in health. It's a little complicated, scares some people off, but if you, if you kind of get it and you manage it, you have the key to yet even better 
and higher levels of health and slenderness too, by the way. And you said in your book, you've in your new book, you've got the protocols for SIBO. Uh, 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 this is added in a, in a website. I have a website called the Undoctored Inner Circle okay. because it's more, you know, the Undoctored starts the conversation. It shows how we collaborate online, how we employ these basic uh, tools in our programs, how to track things, what lab tests you might want to consider, the supplements you add. But then we take it even further um, in the Undoctored Inner Circle. That's, and I should mention that's a subscription paid membership website yeah. because yeah. the kind of attention requires much more. There's a lot of video. We have uh, online meetings, yeah. uh, video meetings mm -hmm. uh, with some regularity where we actually talk to each other. I can talk to somebody in, in uh, London or in Melbourne or San Francisco, mm -hmm. and we talk mm -hmm. about your issues, and we ask questions, and we're, we're collaborating, right, and helping each other become healthier. They learn from me, I learn from them. Yeah. And one of the things we're seeing now, now it's happening, is people are managing their own SIBO, treating their own SIBO, because they go to the doctor, and doctors, I have no idea what you're talking about, that's stupid. Uh, I'll send you to a gastroenterologist. The gastroenterologist does an upper endoscopy and a colonoscopy, says, good news, you don't have cancer, goodbye. Yeah. And the, and the patient says, well, I don't understand. I still have diarrhea and abdominal pain, and I don't feel good. And the doctor says, well, here, take this S-reflux drug and this antispasmodic. Mm -hmm. as, you, as you point out, never addressing the real cause, no. not even lifting a finger to identify SIBO, which impairs health and leads to colon cancer, by the way, as well as diverticular disease and mental and emotional problems. So it's very important to recognize if you have this and correct it. So that we explore in more detail because it's more complicated in the small, I'm sorry, in the uh, undoctored inner circle. Yeah, and it's something that I myself, like, like you have dealt with it. Um, and just for a lot of people out there, I mean, certain things that we talk about just in general, taking out wheat, gluten, caffeine, um, pasteurized dairy, sugar, um, reducing overall stress levels, clean water, taking away your toxic toxic chemicals, boosting your hair. So every, everything that we talk about in general always going to improve your health. And there's certain things we need to do around that. And I'm sure if you go to um, William's website, give you, give you the help as well there for SIBO, as, as would we. But these these are things, these are like the, the, the foundational principles, you know. Um, I think it was someone else talk, you're talking about there about SIBO. I think it was two guys, um, studies show that uh, H. pylori was actually the, the main cause of, of ulcers in the gut. Um, they, they did a study and everyone laughed them out of the uh, lecture hall. I think it was about 10 years ago. Uh, so one of them actually ingested the H. H. pylori uh, infection and would you know, uh, he developed an, an ulcer of the gut and he had to go through the whole, the whole um, process of healing himself. But people don't realise that these, these strains, parasites, protozoa, bacteria, how much they actually affect our health, um, and it's huge. The, the, the I mean, we've, I may have got to go in a minute, but we've, we've almost um, taken up all your time. There was something I just wanted to talk about in terms of two things, really. One was, um, we've mentioned gluten a little bit, um, and be, you always talk about the, the difference that gluten's got two, two different molecules, and, and that's a, a, an issue and why, and why it is, but we can go into that another time. But you, you talk about it's not just the gluten, it's the wheat. But for someone who's trying to live a wheat-free life um, and it's breaking the conventional mould because most people are eating it, is it hard and where do you start? I mean, in, in one of your chapters of your book, it's got another one, 
I think you say I get I gained someone I think it's a quote I quote I gained thirty pounds from just one cookie. Now, why would that be? Um, <laughs> you know, and and is is living a wheat free life hard? So no one actually or literally gains know, thirty. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, of course. Yeah. What, I, what I mean by that though is, so people who are grain free are miraculously freed of appetite. People forget to eat dinner. People have a nice healthy breakfast, maybe three eggs and bacon or whatever, or sausage, and then forget to eat lunch or skip it because they're not interested. And then maybe have a light dinner. Hunger even feels different. So hunger is a soft reminder that you might eat something every six to eight hours as opposed to the incessant must have something every two hours of the grain consumer. The problem is if that grain free person maybe is at a party or an office party or birthday party, whatever, and they say, I'll have one cookie. I've been good. I'll be extra good tomorrow and exercise or whatever. They had that one cookie or uh, hors d'oeuvre or appetizer that contains grains. They set in motion an insatiable return of that appetite. And many people find they can't stop. And so I've seen people do wonderfully well. They reverse their arthritis, their skin rashes, they're off their medication, they lose 45 pounds. And then six months later, they say, what the heck? One cookie can't hurt. They come back 30 pounds heavier in a month and they can't turn off the appetite. You have to go through the whole process again. Mm -hmm. So I remind people just how powerful this effect can be for many people. It's not hard, but as we talked about earlier, wheat and grains are in virtually every processed food. So it means rejecting about 59,000 of the 60,000 common products in most super modern supermarkets. Yeah. So it means you're going to hang out in the produce aisle, in the butcher area, and uh, maybe in the dairy if you can if you include some dairy. In other words, you don't need those internal aisles. At least that's how the supermarkets are in the U.S. The internal aisles yeah, with very similar, very similar. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Frozen foods. The outside so aisles. Yeah, the outside yeah. aisles have got all the uh, fruits and vegetables on. <laughs> And the Real foods, right? Yeah. So green peppers and beef and pork and fish mm-hmm. and apples have been least mucked up by modern agribusiness and don't have, of course, grain components nor added sugars. So we go back to real single ingredient foods. Now, that's not to say, Ryan, as you know, that you'll never have pizza again. You know, pizza is so popular here. Or apple pie or pumpkin pie or gravy or sauces or rolls, or scones, or cookies. You can have all those things, but we're going to recreate them without grains and without added sugars. And and just, you know, we just had our Thanksgiving here last week, and we had wonderful turkey with gravy, biscuits, pumpkin pie, chocolates. I mean, we had all kinds of great things uh, with no one deprived. And by the way, no angry outbursts, Mm -hmm. no sleepiness, no weight gain, uh, no health problems, because we coast through these holidays and other events feeling great, not worrying about weight gain, because the one thing we don't do is restrict calories. I discourage people from ever minding their calories, because calories do not matter Mm -hmm. once you do this uh, lifestyle. Uh, If you did count calories, you would see that compared to your grain-consuming days, your, your calorie intake has dropped. 400 to 800 calories on average per person per day, even though you'll never hear from any of us to cut your calories. It just happens naturally. Yeah. 
it's one of those things people have like uh, they go out and have a beer the next day they're craving some high sugar foods etc um, right and as <laughs> you say like in the, the day you're gonna live, and if you go out and do something, you can do things around that. Like you can, we can get like if you work with myself or work with William, I'm sure give you certain little protocols. You can go out and you and you, you can, certain things you can do before and after to make sure that those uh, the reaction to those foods isn't going to be uh, as bad as it would otherwise. But I mean, when you think about Thanksgiving meal or Christmas meal, it's really. I mean, if you're if you're going to buy it the way that Mother Nature intended, it's just real food cooked with real fats, you know. Um, and if you if you want a dessert, you can make them without cane sugar and without pastries and you can you can do it all with sweet potato or you can do it with different flat. I mean, you can do it with like uh, almond meal, for example. There's lots of different ways to go about it, and I'm sure you can even look on the Wheat Belly. Um, dot com with some recipes I'm sure um, but you, as you said gravy turkey potatoes example vegetables it's actually a really healthy meal if you just uh, if you eat it properly rather than if you uh, if you have to go out to the supermarket and you buy different the gravies for example which you've got probably MSG in them etc etc so um a hundred percent agree with you there, Bill. It's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. Anything else you'd like to add for the people out there? Yeah, you know, people. Uh, some people know these things intuitively. They've come to the similar conclusions and just needed to hear it articulated out loud. But there's still lots of people who say, well, "I don't understand." My doctor told me the exact opposite. And I trust my doctor, uh-huh. or uh-huh. the uh, National Health Service told me otherwise, uh, or the USDA told me otherwise, or whatever. Give it a try yourself. See what happens. More often than not, you'll not only be pleasantly surprised, you'll be shocked at what happens to the way you feel and the way you look. And joining the conversations, it helps and it's a lot of fun to see what other people are doing around the world when they engage in these kinds of lifestyles. For instance, on the Wheat Belly uh, uh, Facebook page, you'll see these stories flying by at, at breakneck pace, all the people pace, people who look different and look by the way Ryan often 10 to 20 years younger yeah. from the reversal of inflammation mm-hmm. 100% and that and that's the thing I always say like uh, that, uh, but people these days if, if since it's got a scientific study they don't take it seriously and it's like well how do you feel well I feel terrible so why are you eating that food then well because my doctor said it's okay yeah, but how do you feel <laughs> I feel terrible well when's your brain kick in and you start to listen to your body you know uh, and, that's that's the, right. and that's and that's the part it's like uh, just realize that there's everything that's got sort of got an agenda behind it but nothing's going to tell you um, or nothing's going to give you the the uh, kick up the bum or the or, the, or, the, or really like then actually seeing how you feel and how you look in the mirror nothing's going to give you a uh, uh, a better result than that, or the, the way to tell something's working for you than that. You know, it's that's the the best way you can tell. So, William, Bill, it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you, and I would definitely be in touch. If you're just holding the line there, um, one second while I'll just end out the show, guys. That's it for episode forty-five. Hope you've enjoyed it. Any questions you've got, send them over to me um, or. Have a look at www.wheatbelly.com and I'll also put the address of contact bill um, on the site. So, for another week, see you later, guys. And uh, as always, stay happy, stay healthy. I'll speak to you soon. So, guys, that was episode 45 with Dr. William Davis, all about wheat. I'm sure 
you got as much out of that as uh, I did interviewing him. It was fascinating. I've always known uh, the problems of wheat and did quite a lot of research on it. But it's great to get the information out there for you guys to really understand the problems with it, why it's different today, why it's still, even if you're having, um, even if you're having organic, why it's still not great for you, still um, going to cause issues, how it's affecting weight gain, inflammation, how it's affecting the gut, the brain, and everything else in between, autoimmune conditions, skin conditions, gut issues etc so it's really good to get him on the show and talk about that um as as always guys got a good great well in fact i tell you what i'm probably this this next interview we've got coming up for you next week with jason christoph is a phenomenal episode and we dig deep into not just health but we go into all the different avenues we go right down the rabbit hole so that's um coming up next week and it's going to be a great way to start off uh the year uh, set you up for the year i know um if this would be coming out early jan i think and so as always i say merry christmas last last episode it might be christmas this week if it is merry christmas if it's happy new year then happy new year have a great 2018 uh, as you can probably guess some of these episodes are recorded a little bit before just because we want to get the guests on and, and make sure everything's rocking and rolling for you but any questions you've got for Dr. William Davis, hit them, um, hit me up with them. Or any questions any of you guys have got around your health and, and anyone who wants to start working on their health has got a chronic issue uh, and you want to get down to it straight away, then you can contact me at www.reviveyourself.co uh, and you click on the contact and you can fill in the form there and we can have a have a call and see how we can help you. The calls are always free just to assess what's going on and then we can build out what we think would be best for you. Uh, and also we've got our free uh, four-day mini course there at reviveyourself.co as well. And also you can find us on Facebook and on Instagram. Instagram's revive underscore yourself and Facebook's uh, Facebook forward slash revive natural health. And also I've got my own personal page that you can find me on as well because lots of content goes out there. But that's it for this week guys i really enjoyed this one i hope you did too as always stay happy stay healthy and i'll see you on the next episode bye-bye if you're struggling with gut issues such as gas bloating constipation diarrhea indigestion heartburn and want to finally be able to eat the foods you love without the crippling after effects then don't forget to head over to reviveyourself.co and pick up your free copy of the healing health paradigm today 